All right. So so far in Acts, we have we've seen a lot. I mean, it's a short book, but I mean, it's a, it's a long book, and we haven't got too far into it. But we've seen a lot so far, right? We've seen the church continue to grow through both good and bad circumstances. Like we've seen the church providing for one another. We've seen them worshiping together, sharing meals together, um, listening to the teaching of God's word together. And by this, the church has continued to grow. The gospel has continued to spread, regardless of, of the persecution or whatever has come. And even, so I've said, even with these obstacles, they've added thousands to their, to their group. We started at Pentecost, where we're talking 120. And remember last week where Peter and John aren't just arrested once, but they're arrested twice. And in between their first and second arrest, real quick, it just says that 5,000 people were saved. <laughs> so even in the midst of intense persecution, after healing the lame man, 5,000 believers are added to the, to the church. And, and after they're arrested and, and beaten, they're, they're not shaken, right? We see them rejoicing. We see them going back to the other believers and asking for more boldness and more opportunity to share the gospel and to suffer for the sake of the gospel. So it's just it should be an incredible encouragement to us because... The, it's really remarkable if you think about where our faith started. I mean, again, we'll see tonight that our faith started, you know, from, from long ago. But to see where the church, the modern-day church started to where it is now, it is incredible to see how it reached where it is today. And, and I just always want us to keep thinking about that with Acts, that these circumstances, these, these incredible stories that we read, like, they actually happened. And that the gospel continued to, to advance throughout intense persecution and that it still continues to advance even today. Like these stories, every time we read them, I, I really want us to, it's what I love about the book of Acts, like put yourself in the story. Like, like not to be cliche, but like put yourself in the story like, and think, you know, how would that be, you know, for God to be moving through me like that, for, for the Holy Spirit to be emboldening me like that. Um, you know, we're going to talk about Stephen tonight. Put yourself in Stephen's shoes. I'm serious. You know, and I think that's where, you know, that's why these stories have been recorded. Like, for us to go back and to be encouraged and to be um, emboldened to share the gospel, even in our current circumstances, regardless of where we're at. In fact, we have to. We've already been commissioned. There, there's, no, there's no waiting to share the gospel. There's no bench, right? We have to be sharing the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is the one that emboldens us to do that. I keep saying it over and over again, you know, but that is so critical to remember that you will not in your own strength, your own knowledge, your own verbal acuity go out and save the world. It is going to be the Holy Spirit working through you at the right time, giving you the wisdom giving you the peace, giving you the boldness to share the gospel. So, and that's, that's really, you know, what we're going to touch on tonight, you know, with, with Stephen. Um, if you know nothing else about Stephen, right, you probably know he's the first Christian martyr. And while this is true, I think we're also going to be encouraged by seeing his life and 
albeit brief, in this chapter where we kind of see him introduced and then um, martyred, I think it's important to look at his life as well as his death and, and not just see him as giving his life for Christ, but there was a reason that led to that. Um, and we see that in the right in the righteousness in his life that he was full of the Holy Spirit. So again, we kind of see that again. Um, so that's, our, that's what's going to be our theme tonight, that uh, we're going to see the Holy Spirit resolving conflict and providing wisdom and peace. So let's go to Acts uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts 6, 1 through 7. So now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men, good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. So first point, right off the bat, the Holy Spirit resolves conflict. So right off the bat in chapter 6, before we even get to Stephen, we have another conflict, another obstacle that the church has to face. We see the Hellenist widows uh, bringing a complaint to the apostles during the daily distribution. Before we dig into the conflict, let's define the word Hellenist and give that some context uh, Hellenist is a Greek-speaking Jew. So if you remember back to our discussion of Pentecost, there were Jews present from far-off lands, right? So already in the early first century, there was a large number of Jews living outside of Israel. They call it the, the, the diaspora. And they had... These widows were Hellenist, called Hellenists because their primary language was Greek. And they had emigrated back to Israel. And it's important to remember that they're widows, Right? Um, so what's the conflict? So we touched on earlier in the study, if anyone in the church had a need, they would come to the church and would be provided for, right? Someone would give or sell something they had and, and give the proceeds to those who were in need. And apparently this is, was taking place daily in some sort of disorganized fashion. As we say, Luke mentions the issue arose during the daily distribution. So I see a few reasons for this conflict. Um, just doing a little study, the, the native Jewish believers would have spoke Aramaic, not Greek, most likely. And if you've ever been to a foreign country around someone who speaks a different language, trying to have a conversation with them, and let alone trying to understand what they need, <laughs> is challenging, uh, if not impossible. So the widows may have been overlooked just for this particular reason. Um, you can imagine a, a Hellenist widow trying to explain her need to someone in the church who doesn't speak Greek. You know, so this I, it could be one 
of the reasons for the conflict. And secondly, I think it's important to see why they were in need. Yes, they're widows, right? So, but but they had when they had emigrated back to Israel and their husbands had passed away. Most likely, they didn't have family in the area. They had their family was in a, in another country, another land. So, they in that day and age especially, like the family was was supposed to be the ones that would provide for them, their kids, their family in some way. So, these these widows truly did have a need. So th- this sets the stage for what we see next. And without belaboring the point, right, we see the Holy Spirit at work choosing seven believers to serve as the overseers of the serving ministry. They speak Greek, so they're going to be able to speak to the widows and understand their need. And Stephen, as you can see in verse 5, he's a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And these men... This is the reason that they're chosen. They have a good reputation. They're full of the Spirit. I think it's important for these men to be chosen for several reasons, right? So the gospel is able to be continue to be the focus of the apostles, right? The widows are well-loved and provided for. And it's important to notice that neither one is more important, okay? So we can see this truth in the conflict. If, because if the widows are provided for, how is the gospel message affected? Right? If the apostles have to step away from preaching the gospel, how is the gospel message affected? But now with Stephen and the other six men caring and providing structure to the serving ministry, the gospel can continue to advance not only by the apostles, but by the serving ministry that the that that um, Stephen and Philip and the other men are organizing. Because the the widows have friends, right? Like, there's a watching world. There's always people watching the church, and they're watching Christians. And I think that's important to realize that both are important, that sharing the gospel is important, and providing for the needs of people is important as well. And so you can see that, that the gospel is on full display in the book of Acts when people are sharing the gospel, obviously, but also when the church is providing for their members. And you can see that, you know, just, just in this passage. So I, just real quick, I don't want you to be tempted to think that serving is some kind of menial task. I don't, I don't think a lot of people have that thought here um, because I love seeing so many of you serving on community day. I mean, that, that, was, that was incredible. I mean, everywhere I turned, like there was a solda member helping out or serving in some way. You know, that is a blessing to the church. And I, I just want to commend you for seeking to serve. I mean, it, it's meaningful gospel work. And as we're about to see, Stephen isn't just some serving ministry director that helps the widows with their needs. He's also boldly sharing the gospel. It's the reason he's going to be killed, right? So again, we see the Holy Spirit resolving what could have been a real threat not only to the early church, but especially to the spread of the gospel by choosing you know, these men and making sure that, that the widows were provided for. So before we move on, though, I want to make sure that we don't miss a gospel nugget, as I'll call it, in verse 7. I feel like Acts... Like Luke does this several times, like last week when it just said, oh, and 5,000 people were saved, and the story keeps going. 
Like in verse 7, if you're just reading it too quickly, some amazing things are happening. Like the result of this conflict being resolved is that the word of God continues to increase, that the number of the disciples is multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That is fascinating. And it's important because the group that had that had most vehemently opposed Christ and the gospel is now turning in faith to him. That's amazing. I mean, again, if you if you just read too fast, you, you would miss that. But like some of the priests become have become obedient to the faith. So it's it's just a reflection of the power of the gospel that even the most hardened person toward Christ, like whoever you would think that would be in your life, like the power of the gospel can soften the most hardened person to God. So, and I think the gospel is especially for them. So think of that person in your life and read this in faith and say, if, 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 if the gospel, if God can, can save one of these priests who was looking for every turn to, during Jesus's ministry, catch him in a trap or, you know, discredit him in some way and eventually kill him. Now they're turning in faith to Christ. So just encouraging, incredible. Um, let's, let's go on. So let's, let's also read their second point tonight is the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and peace. So go to me, uh, go with me to verse eight. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they said... Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that, the face of an angel. So in this passage, we see Stephen doing great signs and wonders among the people. And we see another conflict arise, right? So it starts again in verse 9, where he begins to debate with members of the synagogue of the freedmen. They're Cyrenians, they're Alexandrians, they're from Cilicia, they're from Asia. Um, and, and again, I wish, I really just need to have a map up here like all the time because he's basically taking on the entire Mediterranean basin. Like he's got people from Africa, he's got people from like, Asia. He's like, you know, he's, he has this basically United Nations of people around him debating with him. And we, we don't, the passage doesn't explicitly tell us what they're debating, but it's hard not to believe that it's, it's not about the gospel and its implications. So Christ crucified. But even in the face of this opposition, because we don't read that there's anybody else here 
you know, I, I don't see that it's Stephen and or you know a group of. We just see Stephen in the face of this opposition. He's undeterred, and through the Holy Spirit, he's unstoppable. Let's look at look at verse ten. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. That's incredible. <laughs> like he's basically taking on all these guys, and. And they cannot withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he's speaking. And we saw this last week, right? Like when Peter and John are, are, are brought before the council during one of their trials, the, the passage said, when the council saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were astonished and had nothing to say in opposition. I'm not promising that this is always the response. But what I'm saying is that through the Holy Spirit. Stephen receives incredible wisdom and the, they cannot withstand the words that he's saying. And, and I just, I want, us, I want us to see that and I want us to realize that, again, this promise, this, this story applies to us. Like, you know, when you're, when you're talking to someone who is opposing the gospel, the Holy Spirit will give you boldness. They, it, it will happen. And, and, I, and I just want us to see this on display over time and time again in Acts that God is not left speechless. He's not left speechless, right? The, the opposition is left speechless. They're astonished. Like, I don't know what to say next. So be encouraged with that. Be encouraged that, that this is our God. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the helper who we have today. And he will greatly defend his honor. He will boldly proclaim the good news of Christ. So not being able to withstand him, we see his opponents turning to what I'm going to call the first century playbook of how to get rid of someone you can't denounce because they're just too good. Make up lies about them. <laughs> I mean, we still see this today. But what I'm mentioning is what they do with Jesus, right? Like we see his entire ministry. You know, it's the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Like they're trying to come and they're trying to trap him in something. They're trying to get him in a gotcha, right? And they can't do it. They can't do it. Like time after time. You know, for three years, they just can't, they can't get them, and it drives them nuts. So what do they end up doing? They find people who are going to lie, right? And we see the same thing with Stephen. See, look in verse, look in verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. You know, in verse 11, before that, they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So... To explain briefly what they're taking issue with outside of the, the falsehoods, like if we keep, if we keep reading there, um, there's, they're upset with Stephen because he's speaking against the temple and, their, and the customs of Moses. And these, aren't, these weren't light accusations or offenses to the Jewish people. Okay, So even if these things were true, if Stephen was actually saying these things, the temple and the customs, like, that were passed down from Moses were everything to them. They, they literally represented their relationship with God. It, it ordered their daily lives. So 
the temple was their focus of worship. So it's it's not a light accusation, you know, for them to say like, oh, he's he's speaking against the temple, or he's he's going to change the customs of of Moses. But as Stephen is about to say in his defense of the gospel, and as we know, Christ came not to destroy their way of life, not to destroy the temple, but to fulfill it. Not to destroy the law and the customs, but to fulfill them. Not to undo them, but to show them a better way through faith in him. So they arrest Stephen and bring these false accusations against him, right? Another mob is whipped into a fury, as we saw last week, and we see Stephen seized and brought before the council in verse 12. And this is yet another scary situation, right? I mean, again, like I said in the beginning, put yourself in Stephen's shoes. Um, Anthony, would you do me a favor and turn the lights on? You... Yeah, it's going to get dark. People are going to fall asleep. <laughs> you wouldn't do that to me, right? Hey, we're back. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyway, so put yourself in this situation. He's... he's he sees he's brought forward the council. But Stephen, again, he's unsettled. He's not shaken by the gravity of this situation. I don't think at this point he has any idea what's actually going to happen. I mean, Peter and, 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 and John are arrested last week. They're, they're beaten. First time they're, they're, they're told, stop doing what you're doing, they're let go. Second time they actually get beaten. But again, let go. I don't think at this point Stephen knows what's coming. But we really need to focus on verse 14 because if you look at that, sorry, verse 15, and gazing at them, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So Stephen is in this, to me, very scary situation. Like he's, he's so filled with the Holy Spirit to the point that his face is shining like an angel. So the Holy Spirit is the one in this moment, who is sustaining him and giving him peace. And that's, again, what I want us to see. Like We're about to see him, in wisdom, be able to highlight God's faithfulness and his plan of salvation. But in this moment, we see the peace that he has through the Holy Spirit. So, for the sake of time, let's look quickly at the defense that Stephen gives. Okay, so this was very hard. Okay, what I'm about to do is break down 50 verses of the defense that Stephen gives. And I'm going to do it as briefly as possible. So in Acts 7-1, next chapter, swipe right. Uh, and the high priest said, are these things so? Stephen, you have the floor. Stephen then goes on for 50 verses describing God's history of saving the Jewish people through Abraham, Joseph, and Moses, and how Moses prophesied that a prophet like him would be raised up from the people. If we had more time, we could go into how Christ is the better or perfect Moses, both ruler and redeemer. But the important point to grasp here is that Stephen is making the point that Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke of. So you look at the Old Testament, you look at God's plan of salvation through the, the Jewish people, 
It's led to Christ as the perfect Moses. And that's the case that he's trying to make in these 50 verses. And not only that, but that he is the righteous one. And just as the people had rejected, harassed, disregarded, and killed the prophets, Stephen's quick to point out that they've done the same thing to Christ. So he also answers the accusation of the temple by telling the story of the tent of witness where God would speak with Moses and how this led to the building of the temple after David asked the Lord to build it. God says, no, Solomon's going to build it, right? So Stephen is quick to remind us here is that God doesn't dwell in houses made by hands in verse 47. You scroll all the way down to verse 47. And he's, he, there he's going to quote Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. There he says, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. And if you keep going down to verse 49, he quotes, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did my hand... Did not my hand make all these things? So he, the, he's not saying that the temple is not important. Okay? He's saying that the, the, the Jewish people have made the temple to be more than it actually is. That God has always existed and that the, the temple was built by human hands. Okay? And that the temple was always meant to foreshadow something greater, namely God dwelling in us. Like I said a few weeks ago, when the temple veil is torn and when when Jesus dies on the cross, that is so symbolic. Like there was so much that happened in that moment, obviously with Christ dying on the cross, but that symbol of the veil being torn is our entrance into relationship with God directly to God. And so so Stephen's saying like again, like this the temple it it didn't stop with the temple. Like this was a foreshadowing of something greater. Because we know this now and we experience it through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, right? So we don't go to a temple. And so Stephen is trying to point out to them that Christ and his work is securing for us a better temple. To sum it up, first Corinthians six nineteen, do you not know that you're body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. So it is at this point that Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, powerfully concludes his speech with some direct and very harsh accusations against the council. As they persecuted Moses, and so they had done with Christ, the righteous one. He calls him stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and in ears. You look at verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have betrayed and murdered. You received the law, you who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. So again, this is going to sound harsh. Uh, but as we read this, this is actually the Holy Spirit speaking through Stephen. So this is the word of God going out to these hearers 
exactly as they needed to hear it. And I think the, the takeaway here is that we're going to be in situations where the truth is absolutely called for. Okay? And the truth is going to be wildly unpopular and inflammatory. And we are living in a culture and a time that that is absolutely the case. Right? And so, again, the reminder that the Holy Spirit will give you that boldness, will give you the words in that moment to make a defense, as First Peter says, for the hope that you have. Right? And my prayer is that we would have that boldness like Stephen, that through the power of the Holy Spirit we would have wisdom and peace as we share the gospel message. And I'll also add as a side note that whether it's Peter or Stephen or later Paul, they have a firm grasp on Scripture, right? They know the history of salvation. They're able to articulate clearly the Word of God. And so my last challenge there is, are, are we able to do the same? Like, go back and read those 50 verses and, and read the history of, of, of God's plan for salvation. Because it will not only encourage your heart, but it will it'll build up like your gospel muscles. Because when you're able to articulate that and say like, this isn't a new fad. Like Christianity isn't just something that started, you know, in the first century. That this has been God's eternal plan since the beginning of time. Like if you can actually put that together for someone through the through the power and clarity of the Holy Spirit, that's powerful. So that's my challenge. If 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 you're able to do that, that's amazing. If you're not, like dig into the scriptures. Go back and read those 50 verses and see the beautiful unfolding of God's plan throughout history. So again, we see the Holy Spirit giving wisdom and peace to Stephen. So let's quickly read verses 46, uh, 54 to 60 as we wrap up. Um, now when they had heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So this is uh, both a horrifying and incredible scene at the same time. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, we, we see an enraged mob attacking Stephen, right? Throwing him outside the city. And I think at this point, Stephen actually knew what was going to happen. Um, that this wasn't going well. It's hard to say whether this was mob violence or sanctioned by the council. I... I have a tendency to believe this was probably mob violence because at that point the council did not have the authority from the Romans to um, put anyone to death. They had to get approval. This seems like a mob, you know, mob basically just 
taking over, gnashing their teeth, being enraged, and you know, taking justice into their own hands. You know, justice. And I know that many of us have, have probably not been in a life or death situation, but I think you can appreciate the gravity of the scene we see here with Stephen and the angry mob, right? I can only imagine what, what I, apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit, would be experiencing. I mean, to me, I think I would be, you know, absolutely terrified. But as we've seen in Stephen's life throughout the chapter, the Holy Spirit is evident, right? And it's now going to be powerfully evident in his death. So if you look at verse 55, we read that Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What I want us to see there, his eyes are focused. Even in the midst of this persecution where it's going to lead to his death, His eyes are focused on God. The only reason that he's in this position is because his eyes have been faithfully fixed on Christ, right? He's continuing to do so in his death. And him saying this aloud only further enrages the crowd and leads them to begin to to stone him. I don't need to get into the brutality of stoning. Um... We're all adults here. But what I do want to focus on and end with is the effect on a young man named Saul and Stephen's final words. So in verse 58, we see the people who are murdering Stephen laying their garments down at the feet of a young man named Saul. Yes, this is the same Saul who will very soon persecute the church and yet eventually become one of its greatest leaders. The, uh, if you want to go just, just real quickly to verse uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. So, in stunning grace, we're going to see the effect that this has on Saul later on when he mentions his participation and approval of the stoning of Stephen later on in in Acts. So God is going to use this experience to later convict and transform him from the persecutor of the church to its biggest advocate. So take that for what it's worth. I mean, again, just the incredible transformative power of the gospel that Saul is standing here approving and participating in the death of Stephen. He will go on to kill and persecute the church and then Christ will powerfully get a hold of him and he will do the exact opposite with a multiplier of immense power. (laughs) So finally we see Stephen dying with two prayers on his lips. He prays that God would not hold the sin against them. Them. And we see him asking the Lord to receive his spirit. And I think we have to, if, if you know your Bible at all, this is, this is almost exactly what Christ did on the cross. And so like I said before, his eyes are focused. Like he knows his Savior. And he is so transformed by the gospel that his dying words are, forgive them. 
and receive my spirit, Lord. So in, even in his death, he, he is focused and he is following in the footsteps of Christ. So the this, this story is, is, is a stunning testimony to the wisdom and the peace that the Holy Spirit provides. So to close, we've seen in this passage, these passages that the Holy Spirit is the one who resolves conflict and gives peace and wisdom. We saw the conflict with the widows being resolved, and we see Stephen courageously preaching the gospel, even, in, even to his death. And so I'll end by just having us reflect on these, these truths that we have read about tonight. Where, where in your life do you have conflict with a brother or sister? Okay? Where in your life do you need wisdom, peace? Turn to the Holy Spirit. Call on Him. You know that this is how we are emboldened. This is how we persevere as the saints of God. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, call on, call on him, read your Bible, be encouraged, 